How's everybody doing? Is it week, week five? Week four? You all don't know and don't care? Only the teachers know. Week, week four? Okay. Okay. Today, we continue with our series called In the Beginning, uh, based on Genesis 1 to 11. Okay, so sit back, get ready, take out your Bibles, take out your notebooks, where you will write down copious amount of notes, because you love the Word of God, am I right? Yes, okay. Let's do a little recap, okay, before we, we begin. Okay, are we ready? So the last sermon, okay, we talked about how the Bible is one integrated message, right? From Genesis to Revelation, there is one message. And here, in the beginning, okay, you will see the beginning of the overarching message um, in the Bible, uh, this message that continues in the rest of the Bible, right? It's the message of how God created a wonderful world, right, and, and wonderful creation, um, and, and, and how he created man for relationship with him. Do you remember in the last sermon, we talked about how we are made in his image, right? We are made for relationship, but man's sin messed up everything, right? The fall, that's what we studied last week. But hallelujah, praise the Lord. God already knew that, and he has... He had a, a redemption plan for us from the beginning, right? So we are studying uh, the book of Genesis because it is a book of beginnings, right? Um, the last sermon, we talked about the, the, the Sabbath, right? The first mention uh, of the Sabbath was when God finished his creation. Then he said, it is finished, right? And actually, Jesus said that, it is finished, right? Um, we talked about Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, um, the first marriage, therefore, Last week, we talked about the first sin, right? The fall. Okay, this week is the Cain and Abel story. So, the first what? Murder, okay? Very good. Anything else? The first brother, yeah, I guess so. Okay. Huh? First offering, maybe? The first martyr, right? Abel killed for his faith. The first city is mentioned. Do you notice that? Cain was building a city. Okay. Um, the first mention of music. Do you, do you notice that? This guy called Jubal, whose brother is Jabal. Right? Clearly, uh, clearly the, the parents are creative people. So Jubal is the father of all who play the harp and the flute. Right? Uh, is, it, is it woodwind and strings? Is it? Something like that. Ban people. Jubal's your father. Okay, so uh, let's, let's get into the passage, okay? Today we're going to look at Genesis 4, Genesis 5, uh, Cain and Abel. Did you, read a, did you read a story? How many of you are like super familiar with this story? Like you heard it like 10 billion times, okay? How, okay, how many of you read it for the first time? Okay, yeah? Okay, let, let, let me, I, I believe that God has a word for all of us today, okay? Whether you've heard the story once or like 10 billion times, okay? Here's, here's the sermon outline, okay? Uh, this is actually for myself because it's <laughs> so messy, okay? Um, first, I'm going to start by talking to you about why Cain's offering was reje rejected, 
Okay, so Abel's was accepted, Cain's was rejected. Why? Okay, then we're going to look a bit more closely at Cain's conversations with God. Okay, so, so um, after he, you know, well, well actually, a lot, of, a lot of Genesis 4 is Cain talking to God. Okay, and what do we learn about Cain from this? And what do we learn about God from this? And then we're going to look at the line of Cain, okay, which, which is at the end of Genesis 4, it talks about the line of Cain. And we'll also briefly look at Genesis 5, okay? So I know it like, seems like it's all centered on Cain. Why? Uh, because Abel only appears for like seven verses and he dies, right? So uh, don't name your son Abel. You know, I used, to have, I used to have a friend called Abel. Every time he walked in the room, he'll be like, he's Abel, he's Abel, I know he's Abel. Do you know the song? Right? And then every time somebody's like, hey, where's Abel? I will be like, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, he will, whoa, he's so irritated by us all the time. Don't name your son Abel. <laughs> no, I'm, ju I'm, I'm just kidding. Abel's a cool guy. He's a, he's a hero, okay? Okay, more, more of that later, okay? So let's, let's begin with prayer and, and let's come before God and ask God to, to speak to us today, okay? Let's pray. Father, we believe that your word speaks to us today. Uh, we believe that, that God, you, you have a word for us today. And so God, we ask that right now, would you open our hearts, um, give us hearts and ears that are responsive to you, that, that are receptive to you. And Father, whatever you're saying to us today, God, would we not harden our hearts, but God, would we be open and ready to encounter you and receive from you today. So God, we pray, Holy Spirit, you will come and um, speak through me and, and, and really speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we said Genesis is the book of beginnings, right? And, and, and you know, I, believe, I really believe that this story of Cain and Abel here is, is really a significant story. Um, it's really more than just like, oh, don't get your angry at your brother and kill him, that, you know, that, that kind of story, right? And, and I want to suggest to you that um, actually every one of us, okay, everybody, every human, um, will fall into the category of either Cain or Abel, okay, all, all of us. And, and I will explain this a little bit more as we go along. Um, and as we go along, um, I want you to ask yourselves constantly, right, which, which side am I in, okay? Which category am I in, okay? Okay, are you ready? Okay, so let's look at the first question, okay? Why was Cain's offering rejected? Okay, so let's begin reading um, Genesis 4. Okay, let's start at verse 1. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Remember the last chapter? She was cursed for childbearing, right? She said, okay, this is what, you know, it's going to be very painful and all that. But with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man without an epidural. Great lady. Okay. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was really pissed and his face was downcast. Okay, so why was Cain's offering rejected? Actually, the truth is we are not told specifically, right? We, you know, the Bible actually doesn't really say why. And the only thing we are told 
is in verse 3, that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. But verse 4 says, but, which suggests a, a, a distinct contrast, okay? But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, why was Cain's offering rejected? Generally, there, there are two uh, main reasons that, that people talk about, okay? The first is this, that Cain um, just brought some fruits, whereas Abel brought the best that he had, okay? He brought the fat, right? He brought the fat, okay? You know, in Leviticus, when, when talking about uh, offering sacrifices, it says, all fat, all the fat belongs to the Lord. Why? Because the fat's the best part, right? I mean, have, you, have you eaten KFC? Right? The fat's the best part, right? Some of you are like, always like, oh my gosh, I'm so fat. I'm like, hey, all the fat belongs to God, okay? So, Abel brought the fat, and he brought fat from the firstborn. Where are all the firstborns in the house? Oh, yeah. The firstborns are the best. Exactly, right? So, but, <laughs> sacrifice. Yeah, sacrifice means like, you know, you, you offer your life to God, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, so anyway, I, I read somewhere that um, offering your firstborn is actually an act of faith uh, because you don't know whether you or like your sheep will continue to have children, you know, but, but you give it to God anyway, right? And, and uh, you may have read in 2 Samuel, right, King, da King David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing, right? That, that, that means I don't just give him like what I don't want or like my extra change, that kind of thing, right? So offering the firstborn, you know, is a bit of risk, um, that the fat is the best part of meat. And so I think Abel had the same attitude as King David, right? He brought the fat. He brought the firstborn. He gave God the best of the best, as we should, right? We should give God our best. We, we should give God our best when, when we serve Him. We should give God our best when we worship Him, right? We just sang, you're worthy of it all, right? We should give Him, like, the best time of the day to spend with Him, right? Because he, He's God. He's the only reason we, we exist, you know, the only reason we can do anything, but, but we didn't read that of Cain. We just read that he offered God some fruits, right? It wasn't like first fruits or anything special. It was just like, oh, offering a, nah, yeah, right? And, and, and maybe some of us like that, when the offering bag is passed around, oh, offering a, uh, nah, drop some stuff inside. And maybe that's the reason um, God looked with favor on Abel and not Cain, Right? It's not because, like, God prefers to eat meat instead of, like, fruit and vegetables, you know? It, it, it was the heart and the attitude behind the sacrifice. And Abel brought his best, and Cain didn't. But, but maybe you can say, well, Abel was the one who kept flocks, right? He was the shepherd, right? But Cain, he worked the soil. He was the farmer, right? So how do you bring, like, what counts as the best of your crop, right? I mean, maybe you just choose some nice fruits, right? How do, you, how do you determine what's the best? So perhaps there is another reason why God did not look with favor on Cain's offering, okay? And, and this is the other reason. Some biblical scholars believe that Cain's offering was not acceptable simply because it wasn't a blood sacrifice, okay? It was just fruits, right? 
you know, um, as I said, we, we don't have all the details to this story, so, so, so we have to infer some things, okay? For example, how did Cain and Abel know what, that they were supposed to offer sacrifice, right? How did they know, like, what is the right sacrifice or what is the wrong sacrifice? So, probably God told them. Pro- I mean, probably the, the most logical. Or, or God told Adam, right? And then Adam was supposed to teach them, right? For example, if you, next week, right, Noah and the flood, right? It says, like, Noah brought, like, uh, how many unclean animals? How do you know which unclean and which is clean, right? The, the, the law, the Torah, you know, everything has not come into existence yet. So, we infer that probably God told them, okay? Or, or God told Adam. And perhaps God has specifically taught that when you bring a sin offering, it has to be a blood offering because the only acceptable sacrifice is a slain lamb. If you read the Old Testament, right, offering sacrifice, uh, offering sacrifice to God is, is almost always, it almost always involves killing an animal, not burning some fruits or, or crops, right? And, and if you look at Hebrews 9, uh, it says, in fact, the law, this is the, the Old Testament law, requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Right? This is all sounding a bit familiar, you know, the, a, a slain lamb, blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's what we talked about during communion, right? Um, and then if you look back to Genesis 3, so you may have discussed this in your CG last week, you notice that um, after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they made clothes for themselves, right? What were those clothes made of? Fig leaves, okay? So they, the Bible says they use fig leaves to cover their nakedness and shame. But look at Genesis 3.21. Genesis 3.21 says, God made garments of skin. Okay? Where does skin come from? Not plants, right? Okay? So some, in fact, some Bible translations specifically say, God made them clothing of animal skin. Okay? So, so which meant that an animal or, or some animals had to be killed, had to be sacrificed uh, in order to truly cover their nakedness and shame. I mean, you think about it, clothes from leaves or like leather, leopard skin. I mean, which will cover you better? Well, which do you want to wear? Right? The leaves? <laughs> right? So, so, you know, probably um, it, there, 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 needed, uh, there needed to be a sacrifice of, of animals, right? Which is why some Bible scholars think that God would have already taught them that the acceptable sacrifice is a blood sacrifice, okay? It's, it's a sacrifice of, of, of an animal, not, not fruits from the soil, especially since the ground is cursed, remember? Genesis 3, okay? Cursed is the ground because of you, right? And and you know, that is actually, that's essentially the gospel message, right? We try to reach God through our own work and our own efforts and all that, but the only way to Him is the way of blood and sacrifice, right? That's why we take the wine, you know, to remember His blood. That's why Jesus went to the cross, because the only way, the only acceptable sacrifice is a blood sacrifice. Okay, now, I, I, think, I think we won't know 100% for sure, because the Bible is not 100% clear, but... I think both reasons could be right. Whether Cain didn't bring his best or whether Cain simply brought the wrong kind of offering. But I think the main point is this, that Cain's, uh, whether Cain's offering was unacceptable because he just flippantly approached God like, here, yeah, some fruits, you know, with no real desire to, to worship or, 
or to give God his best, or whether it was just disobedience, right? Like God said, kill a lamb as, as an offering, and he's like, nah, have some fruits instead, you know? Whether, whichever it is, I think the point is that Cain approached God on his own terms. Okay? On his own terms. Independence from God. Sounds familiar? This is the sin of Adam, right? You should have talked about this in your cell groups last week, right? I do what I want, I do what I think is right, and I do what I feel like. Okay? Okay, I'm going to worship God, but I'll just see what I can spare from my crops for Him. Right? I mean, don't even give the best. Lah. Just give whatever is convenient for, for, for Him. Okay? Or like, or like, you know, okay, I'm going to worship God. Uh, God asked for a blood sacrifice, but nah, I don't want that. I just give some fruits instead. Right? It, it's you know, it's, it's kind of like Adam and Eve, right? You know, in the Garden of Eden. It's like, you have one job. Do not eat the fruit from this tree. And they're like, we're going to eat the fruit from this tree. Right? And, 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 and Cain is like, nah, I'll just do it my way instead. God said bring animal sacrifice, but yeah, I'll just give him some fruits. You know? And, and as we look at Cain today, I, I, I want us to constantly ask this question, Lord, is this me? Am I like that as well? Because the way Cain behaved, it's actually very often like God and us, right? Uh, you know, God says, like, honor your parents. And then we're like, nah, I'm going to be rude to them because it's so annoying. You know? Or, or God says, like, keep yourself sexually pure. Stay away from lust. And we're like, nah, I'm still going to look at porn. Right? God says, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we're like, nah, I hate that guy such an idiot, right? God says, you know, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And we're like, nah, I'm just too lazy to study for the test, right? We, we, it's like God says, this is the way, and we say, nah, I'm going to do things my way, right? Is, is that us? Or maybe, maybe Cain was like, oh, I must bring animal sacrifice. Then I'll have to ask this Abel, because Abel is the shepherd, right? I'm not going to ask this goody two-shoes brother of mine. So I'll just, just bring my own stuff, right? And so Cain went to God on his own terms. Like, yeah, he, he gave an offering, right? He made an offering, but he just did it his way. And, and I think, you know, I think the biggest clue as to why God was pleased with Abel's offering um, and not Cain's can actually be found in Hebrews chapter 11, okay? Those of you who were around two years ago will remember that we did a series called Heroes of faith. Thank you. Okay. And you know, the first hero of faith mentioned is, you can check, you know, it's not, it's not a close book test. It's Abel. Okay. Hebrews 11.4. First hero of faith mentioned. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So, what do you think, therefore, is the key as to why Abel's offering was better and acceptable? What is the key word here? Faith, right? Yeah, I, I really believe this is the key reason why Abel's offering pleased God. Because he brought it by faith. Okay? The Bible says that by faith, Abel was commanded as, commended as righteous. Right? Commended as righteous. But you know, Abel is the son of Adam. 
right? Which means that he inherited original sin, right? He had a sinful nature. He was a man, right? He was not naturally good or righteous. He was sinful from birth, simply because he was human, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet, the Bible says God commended him as righteous because he came by faith, right? He had faith in God and God's ways. On the other hand, Cain, right? Genesis 4 tells us that Cain worked the soil and brought some of the fruits of the soil. And I want to suggest that Cain brought the fruit of his own labor from the soil. Uh, Cain's offering to God was his own works, right, from the soil. He came to God on his own terms with the fruit of his own labor. And, and, and I believe that's why he got angry. You know, the Bible says he got very angry because he felt, I plan on it. I deserve the favor of God. God, I planted this for myself, then I give you, you know, why you don't like. Right? So I think it, it boils down to an issue of works versus faith. And this is why I say that I believe all human beings will fall into either category. Right? We either try to reach God, we try to reach heaven um, by our own works, or we reach Him by faith. Right? We either go by our, own, our way, our own efforts, or we go by God's way, which is Jesus' effort, not us. So let's think about ourselves. Okay, what does this mean for us? And which category do we fall into? You know, I think if you've, if you've grown up in church, you will know that the correct answer is, of course, right? We should go to God in faith, right? For it is by grace, you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 9. So let's ask ourselves, do we look at God's favor and blessing or even salvation as something based on our works and our own efforts and righteousness. Like, hey God, I work the ground, you know, I work hard, I produce these crops, why you don't like? Hey God, I serve in the worship team every week, you know, why you don't bless me? How come I still don't do well in school? Is it our works or is it His grace? You know, do we go to God thinking that we will be accepted based on our works or simply by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Because the lamb has already been slain. His blood has already purchased us for God. So I want us to think about this, okay? Do we approach God and do we worship God our way or His way? Okay, our way where we make our own decisions. You know, we call ourselves Christians where we pick and choose what we want to follow, what we want to obey. We live our lives our own way or will we choose His way? Okay, so which category are we, Cain or Abel? Okay, now, let's continue with the story and look more closely at Cain's conversations with God and, and see what we can learn about Cain and about God. And I'm going to tell you from the start, okay, that as we read closely, we will see just how horrible Cain is. He's a terrible guy, okay? And then we should ask, Lord, is this me, right? And we will also see how good and gracious and merciful God is, okay? So, God looked to favor on Abel and his offering, but Cain's uh, sacrifice was not accepted. And what was Cain's response? Look at verse 5. He was very angry. His face was downcast. I assume that meant he was like walking around, pouting, throwing a tantrum, right? You know, Cain was not at all remorseful. He was not, he was not sad that he had displeased God, right? He didn't care about that. He was pissed off 
that God didn't like his offering. His pride was hurt because his brother had clearly done better. And, and you know, when our sin is exposed or when our sin is revealed, we, we always react in, in either of two ways, okay? We either we soften our hearts in repentance and contrition or we harden our hearts in pride and resentment. We're like, wow, what's God's problem, man? Why he don't accept me, right? It's either response. And, and can I say, <laughs> let me share with you something here. You know, um, Janahan uh, and I were talking about this series. Janahan helped to prepare the Bible study last week. And so in the, in the course of preparing the series, we were like, oh, what, what is the theme, you know, of this, this Genesis uh, 1 to 11? And, and the, the whole verse just came saying, it's just sin, ah. It's sin. The sin of man, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, we are glaringly confronted with the sin of man. I mean, of course, there's also obviously the goodness and the grace of God in response to our sin, right? But really, as you read Genesis 1 to 11, we are confronted with the sin of man. And, and I want to tell you that I'm not here to preach about sin so that you will feel bad about yourself and go around like condemning yourself and walking around in, 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 in self-condemnation or, or whatever. But when we are confronted with our sin, there's, there are two responses. Either we soften our hearts in repentance and repentance doesn't mean feeling bad. It means turning back, right? It's not about feeling bad, but about turning back. Either we respond in repentance or we harden our hearts in pride and resentment or maybe self-pity, like, yala, yala, okay, la, I suck, la, right? That kind of attitude, which, which is really pride as well because we just think about ourselves and not the provision and grace that God has given us. I want to show you Psalm 51. Psalm 51 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Okay, we have to choose. How do we respond to God in the light of our sin? Right? A broken and contrite heart. But this was not Cain. Cain was like rage mode all the way. Right? He was angry. He was downcast, like throwing a tantrum. And, and, and what did God do? What was God's response? You do the wrong thing, you still dare to get angry. No, that, that's me. That's what I, I would have said. Actually, that is exactly what I say to my kids sometimes. <laughs> you know, you do the wrong thing, you still dare to get angry. But, but, but God is a good, good father. And he tries to warn and, and teach and help Cain. Right? Look at verse 6. He says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Son, why are you like that? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door. You know when, you know the word crouching? What, what does it make you think of? Like, what, what animals crouch? Lion, very good. What else? Tiger, right? Basically, you know, the evil cats. They crouch, right? Crouching, crouching is the position that an animal, or I guess a person, adopts before they attack, right? Before they, they pounce. Have you heard of the movie uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Have you heard of it? 
right? It's also hidden, right? Because you crouch in order to hide, right? So you crouch in order to hide and then attack. And, and I find this such a powerful metaphor for sin, and, and I hope it helps us to take sin seriously because sin, this is what the Bible says. Sin is always at our door. It is hiding and it is waiting to pounce on us suddenly and unexpectedly, right? We have to be aware that sin is crouching. So don't be flippant with sin. You know, don't be like, ah, I'll be fine. I'm not, I'm not easily tempted, you know. You wouldn't just go to sleep if you knew that there was a tiger in your house, right? Right? I mean, if you knew that there was a, a, okay, maybe more realistically, like if there was a snake in your house, you wouldn't just be like, ah, well, just go and sleep, right? If it comes, I'll just hug it, right? You know, you would do anything possible to get rid of it immediately, right? You, you would call the police or you would, I don't know, set up a snake, snake tra- <laughs> trap, I don't know. You, would, you might even just move house <laughs> to escape the snake, right? But why don't we treat sin in the same way if we know that it is crouching at our door, right? Why don't we like set up guards and flee from it and make sure we, you know, it doesn't come anywhere near us? So God gives Cain a warning, okay? And God warns Cain probably because he knows that Cain's anger is going to erupt into something terrible. And so he's like, Cain, Cain, turn back to me now. Control yourself, right? Sin desires to have you, but you must master it, okay? God is saying, Cain, be careful. Be careful. Sin is trying to get you, right? This is, this is God the Father talking. And what does Cain do in response to this warning from God? He takes a club, <laughs> And he's like, Abel, let's go to the field, Abel. And, and you know, he said, let's go to the field, right? It's, it's premeditated murder, you know? It is deception. It's not like, it's not like the, you know, he accidentally killed Abel in a fit of rage, like they were just play wrestling or, like, or, or even like, it's not like they were, they were fighting and then he, he, you know, he couldn't control his strength. But it was premeditated murder. He planned it. Right? It was a very wicked and evil action. Okay? Why, why did Cain murder Abel? Just now we saw the comment on Abel from the book of Hebrews, right? Here is what 1 John says about Cain, okay? 1 John 3 says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous, right? Second time Abel is called righteous. You see, here is the wickedness of Cain. He didn't murder his brother because his brother was evil or because his brother had done something wrong or because his brother had done something against him. He murdered his brother because his brother was righteous, which kind of doesn't make sense, right? But this is the sinful nature manifested in jealousy and envy. Watch out for sibling rivalry, guys. Not even kidding. Oh, he's so nice. I hate him. He's so good. I hate him. He's so righteous. I, I hate him. I want to kill him because he's righteous. And, and the Bible says Cain belonged to the evil one. He joined the devil. He became a child of the devil, wicked and evil. Jealousy, envy, comparison. It can be deadly. 
And so Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Okay? And then verse 9, verse 9, God asked, Where is your brother Abel? Does this situation sound familiar? Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned and ate the forbidden fruit, God called out to Adam, right? What did he say? Where are you? Where are you? Do you think it's because God couldn't find them? Like, oh, hey, hey where's this uh, kid? Where's Abe? Do you think God didn't know where they are? Hey, seriously, uh, where's, where's Abel? Do you think so? I think that God, in both instances, with Adam and with Cain, God was trying to elicit a confession, right? Because God could have just appeared right after the murder of Abel and said, you murderer! Ha oh, ha! You kill your brother, now I'm kill you. Right? You sin, you know, eye for an eye and all that. Right? But God said, hey, uh, where is your brother Abel? I believe God was trying to give Cain a chance to confess and repent. You know, if Cain at this point had repented of his sin, like maybe, you know, if he had said, oh, shucks, I really, you know, he looked at the blood and he's like, oh, God, I did a terrible thing, you know, blah, 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 right? I, I believe God would have said, okay, you know, okay, offer this sacrifice. Or do, you know, there would, there, there would still be consequences, there would be punishment, yes, but I believe God would have made provision for Cain to re- repent and return to relationship with God. And so even at this point of terrible murder, I believe God was trying to help. He was still trying to, you know, give a lifeline to Cain, give him a chance to confess, right? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I think, I think God was giving Cain an opportunity to, to confess and repent. And God dealt with Cain the same way he dealt with Adam, right? Because with Adam, he also didn't just suddenly appear after he ate the fruit and be like, you ate the fruit, you had one job. He was like, where are you, Adam? Where, where are you? Well, I mean, as a parent, it's really hard to do, you know, when you know that your, your kid had <laughs> just done something, right? And you're like, let's give him a chance to confess and repent, <laughs> Now, when God asked that, what was Adam's response? What was Adam's response? When God said, where are you? He said, oh, uh, I shy because I'm naked. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Dude, I created you naked. <laughs> right? I-, I mean, Adam tried to, you know, give some excuses. He tried to push the blame to the woman, right? Oh, but Cain's response was far worse. Right? Look at verse 9. I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Whoa, plain rude. He, right, he's just rude, right? He's basically saying, hi, I know. You ask me, I ask who. That, that's basically what his response to God was, right? Sin is rude. Sin is blasphemous against God. And, and so, you know, he just, he, he's just not going to confess. And so God said, verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Sin has consequences, right? Sin has consequences. You know, in the previous chapter, the ground was cursed because of Adam, right? 
Here, Cain is cursed from the ground. It's just getting worse and worse. So God says, you know, <laughs> you did this terrible thing. This is your punishment. What was Cain's response to this? A broken spirit and a contrite heart? No, verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. You see, at this point, Cain is still not remorseful. His response is self-pity and not repentance, right? He doesn't even mention his guilt or his sin. He only complains about his punishment. He's basically saying, Allah, unfair lah, God. Right? My punishment is more than I can bear. Like, unfair, you killed your brother, dude. God not killing you is unfairly gracious already. And Cain is sorry that he's getting punished. He's not sorry that he sinned. He's sorry that he's getting punished. He's sorry for the consequences of his sin, not the sin itself. Are we like that? Are we troubled by the consequences of our sin more than the sin itself? more than, you know, the fact that sin grieves God. You know, we pray a lot harder when we have to face the consequences of our sin, right? It's, it's kind of easier for us to, to turn back. And so his punishment is this, okay? Um, sorry, let's, let's go to verse... See, this is what sin does to our relationship with God, okay, when we refuse to repent. Um, this is what sin does. We are hidden from his presence, and we become restless wanderers on the earth. If we do not turn back to God in repentance and accept his provision to be restored to him by grace through faith, this is what sin does to the relationship with God. And so when, when Cain complains about his punishment, he's only concerned about the consequences. That's all he talks about, right? And you know what this shows us? It shows that probably Cain didn't think that he did that bad a thing, right? He's like, wow, his consequences. He's just all, that's all he talks about. He's like, God, you know what this means? It means that I will have to leave this place. It means that I'll be a restless wanderer. Oh, it means that whoever finds me will kill me gosh, kill you. Wait, isn't that what you did to Abel? Right? He's complaining about the consequences of his sin. And he's just like, whoever finds me will kill me. Wait, wait a minute. How many people are there on earth at this point? Okay, actually, actually the answer is I, I don't know. Right? Maybe Adam and Eve had like tons and tons and tons of kids. Or, or maybe God made more people. We, we, don't, we don't know. I, I don't think so, but we don't know. Uh, like, like, where did Cain's wife come from? Did God take her out from there? I, I don't know, right? Uh, uh, and then verse 17, we read about Cain building a city. I mean, you can't build a city with one person, right? And it's like, you know, welcome to Loserville. Population one, you. You know, that, that kind of thing, right? So, so Cain is just like complaining, complaining. Oh, whoever finds me is going to kill me. He's, he's, he's just, he's not remorseful at all. He's not remorseful, right? Um, but let's look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance, 
seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. What? Even though Cain did such an awful thing, he was not contrite or remorseful after that. God, in his mercy, still set a limit to his punishment and even set up some kind of protection for Cain. I mean, yes, Cain was cursed, right? The ground will no longer yield crops for you and all that, right? He will be a restless wanderer. But verse 15, God put a mark on Cain. Now, of course, we don't know what that mark is, right? Maybe it's like a tattoo on his head, like if you kill me, you will die seven times. I, I don't know, but it says, so that no one who found him would kill him. This is protection, God's protection on Cain. And, and you know, as I was reading um, this passage this week, it, it really struck me just how patient and gracious God is, right? I mean, Cain is, he's awful. He's an awful person, right? He starts off making some like lame, half-hearted offering to God, which obviously doesn't please God. And then he gets angry at that, right? It's, it's almost like maybe if we come to church, like, you know, like we drag our butt here and we're thinking like, uh, I could be home watching YouTube or something, right? And then we stand here and just worship him like half-heartedly. And then maybe we see someone else have a deep encounter with God and we're like, oh, God, you never speak to me. I, I don't feel you. I'm so pissed. It's kind of like the attitude that, that Cain brings, right? And then God in his mercy, as, as a father, he warns Cain about sin, right? He's like, son, be careful. And Cain doesn't care, his response is to kill his brother in cold blood after that. And then after that, he's like, God, I don't know where my brother is, right? Like, yeah, you killed him. And then after that, when God gives him punishment, he's like, oh, God, unfair, unfair punishment. I mean, Cain, Cain is horrible. He's absolutely horrible. You know, Genesis 3, we read about the fall, right? And here in Genesis 4, we see very clearly and very vividly the sinful nature of men. This is how horrible men can be. Cain is a wicked and evil idiot. Just like me. And just like you. You know, through it all, God is, is warning him. God is trying to teach him. God is trying to give him a chance to confess God puts a limit on his punishment. God protects him even after he sins. You know, why didn't God just smite him from the start? Like, you bring me these crappy fruits, the boom die. Right? What? Why? Because God is a good, gracious, compassionate, patient, merciful father. Slow to anger and abounding in love. And you know, this is the story that continues all throughout the Old Testament. The nation of Israel behaves exactly like Cain. They are constantly rebelling, complaining. They turn away. God tells them, don't do this. They do that. They do evil and wicked things. And God, the good, good Father, He is constantly warning, teaching, protecting, forgiving, giving like second chance, third chance, like... 10 billion chance. And isn't that the story of our lives as well? 
And you know, if we don't realize this, then sometimes we have this stereotype that, oh, the Old Testament God is an angry God. He's only interested in justice. He's always demanding sacrifices and the law is death. He's not, right from the start. In fact, you know, animal sacrifice, which is practiced throughout the OT, is really a provision of grace. God allows and accepts the animal sacrifice in his mercy. The lamb dies so that we don't have to die. It's grace. And ultimately, the lamb of God would die on a cross so that we don't have to die. And we don't have to keep killing animals and sacrifices because it is finished. Remember we said the Bible has one integrated message, right? The message of redemption. Let me show you the link in this Cain and Abel story, okay? Look at, look at verse 10. Verse 10, God tells Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, right? What does Abel's blood cries out for? Obviously, he's figuratively speaking, I would assume. So that would be pretty creepy, right? So if the blood was crying out, what would the, what, what would the blood be saying? Yeah, and then, and then, what would the blood cry for? Justice? Revenge, right? God, I was innocent. I was righteous, but my brother killed me. Avenge me. Oh, God, right? Probably something like that, right? You know, Abel was the first martyr, right? He died because of his faith. He died because of his righteousness, right? But actually, he was still a sinful man. I mean, he was a human being, right? He was commended as righteous because of his faith, but he was still a sinful, sinful human being, fallen in nature, sinful, right? But when the perfect man was killed, what did his blood cry out for? When Jesus died on the cross, what did his blood cry out for? Look at Hebrews 12. Okay, Hebrews 12 says, when we come to God, when we come to Jesus, we come to the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does this mean? You see, the blood of Abel cried out for his vengeance and justice, but the blood of Jesus cried out for our forgiveness because Jesus had no sin. And therefore, in verse 25, it says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Do not refuse the blood that was shed for you. You know, I once heard someone say, um, no one will be in hell because of their sin. I mean, we, we all deserve hell, right? We, because of our sin, right? But Jesus already died on the cross. He already died uh, on the cross. He rose again to save us from our sin. Why then will people still go to hell? They will not be in hell because of their sin. They will be in hell for rejecting the provision that God made for their sin. They will reject the provision. God says, there is a way. No, I'm not kicking that way. That's what they will be in hell for. Cain and Abel were, not, were, were both sinful men, right? Just like all of us. We're all sinners. We're all imperfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the, the difference is that Abel took God's provision, God's way, by faith, right? By faith, he offered a sacrifice and was commended as righteous. Whereas Cain, he kept on rejecting God's provision. He kept on rejecting the mercy of God. He kept on rejecting the love of God, the forgiveness of God. He constantly chose 
his own way, the way of self. He relied on his self. He was concerned only with his self. And he rejected God. What about us? We're all sinners, right? We, we, we've all sinned and we'll probably continue to sin in some way or another. But what I want us to think about today is how do we respond to God as sinners? Will we accept the provision of God? Will we plead the blood of Jesus, confess our sins with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and by faith be made right with God again? Just as Abel brought a sacrifice by faith and was committed as righteous? Or will we take the way of Cain and reject God's provision and persist in our sin? Which side? Which side are we? Now, what happens after this whole Cain story? Okay, we're gonna look at the line of Cain. Okay? Just now, just now I said, right, in Genesis 3, we read of the fall, right? Sin entered the world, sin entered human nature. And then here in Genesis 4, we see like a vivid and clear example of the sinful nature of man, right? A brother murders his own brother for being righteous. Right? And, and, you know, it wasn't because, like, Cain played too much GTA, and he watched, like, all these violent movies, and he got influenced. No, it was the sinful nature of man. Right? The sin of the first man caused the second man to kill the third man. Right? Sinful nature. And you will see that the problem of sin seems to get increasingly bad. You know, after Adam's sin, he tried to make some excuses. He tried to hide from God, right? After Cain's sin, he was rude. He was defiant towards God. And now as we read on in Genesis, we will actually begin to see the ripple of sin in our series. Okay? In Genesis 1 to 11. It starts off with an individual, Adam. Right? Then we see sin affect the family. Brother kills brother. Right? And then in society, Lamech. Okay, if you've read, he kills another person. Okay, we'll discuss it very soon. And then eventually, the whole world. In Genesis 6, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Absolute words used there. Every inclination, only evil all the time. And then Genesis 6, 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. Violence of Cain, violence of Lamech, then earth is full of violence. And then that will bring us to the flood, as well as the Tower of Babel. Okay, sneak preview, okay? No spoilers yet. Please come the next two weeks. So, so things get worse and worse, right? Adam had one rule in the Garden of Eden, he disobeyed. Cain, he didn't just disobey, he was rude. He was defiant, he was unremorseful, he persisted in his sin. And then we come to Lamech. Lamech, okay, Cain's descendant. The, the, the other person we have some, we read about in some detail in Genesis 4. Okay, let's look at verse 19. Verse 19 starts like this. Lamech married two women. What? This is terrible. Who told you to marry two women? Exactly. Lamech was the first polygamist. Right? The first man to deviate from God's design for marriage. This is not God's original plan for marriage. Right? If you read Genesis uh, 2, God took one wife, one, one wife out of the rib. 
He said, you know, for this reason, a man will leave his parents and be united to his wife, not his wives, right? You know, sometimes people, people say, I don't know if you've heard this, sometimes people say like, actually, you know, in the Bible, so many people got more than one wife, what? Right? You know, what? the Bible po- promotes polygamy. The Bible condones polygamy. You know, I challenge you to find any example in the Bible where taking more than one wife was, number one, commanded by God. But God said, okay, take the second wife. And I challenge you to find any example in the Bible where taking two wives did not lead to trouble. Okay? Let's just take any example, right? It never ends well. Two wives, never ends well. One wife is enough trouble, right? (laughs) I can say that because I'm a woman, you know? (laughs) Okay, any example, right? Jacob, Jacob had two wives, right? Whole day fighting, like, give up, give up, give up. Competing, right? They even got their maid servants involved, right? And, And, like... What happened after that? Throw Joseph into the, into the, you know, the, the well, sell him off to Egypt and all that kind of thing, right? I mean, look at King David, oh, man after his own. Yeah, but he had, like, I think three wives. And, you know, his children after that, so much fighting. And Amnon, Absalom, oh, it was terrible. It's like violent. You know, the guys did get caught in the branches and don't know what because he has so much hair or something, right? So much fighting, so political. Everybody's trying to be king and all that. Solomon, he's the worst. 700 wives and 300 concubines. This, uh, this guy is mad. <laughs> so obviously, then, led astray by all wives. There is no example where multiple wives ends well. And so the first thing we read about Lamech is that he went against God's design. He took two wives instead of one. Like, who told you to do that? That was never in the plan. And then we read that he committed the same sin as Cain, right? He murdered, right? He killed a man. And while Cain was not remorseful, Lamech seems to go one step further. He's like, he's almost like boasting about it, you know? Like he composes a little poem about his sin. And what's up with that? He's like, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. Like, what, what are you doing? He's like, it's almost like a declaration or a proclamation. Like, yo, yo, check it out, check it out. I have killed a man. And then he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. It's like, hey, dude, you're not God. Like, what? where do you, g- who told you you can just declare that on yourself? Again, there's no remorse. In fact, there seems to be pride. You declare your sin everyone and then you declare a curse on anyone who would commit that same sin on you and again we have to ask ourselves are we guilty of that sometimes we sin we know it's wrong we go against god's plans god's commands and yet in our sinful defiance we still we talk about it We laugh about it. We share about it. Maybe we post about it on social media. It is the complete opposite of broken spirit and a contrite heart. And by the way, does the seven times and 77 times sound familiar? I I think Jesus was quoting Lamech, you know, when Peter asked him about forgiveness, right? Peter asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Seven times seven. seven 70, 77 times. <laughs> and so Lamech 
cried out for 77 times of vengeance. You know, remember we said the blood of Abel cried out for his vengeance, but the blood of Jesus cried out for our forgiveness, right? Lamech cried out for 77 times of vengeance, and Jesus says, no, 77 times of forgiveness, because God knows that that's what we, as a human race, that's what we need the most, forgiveness, a savior, because we are so sinful and so fallen. This is all getting a bit gloomy, <laughs> but it's the truth, though. You know, we're, we're all sinners. We suck. <laughs> and so chapter 4 is a story of Cain and, Eve and Abel. It's a horrible story. And then the chapter ends with Lamech, even more horrible person, right? But actually, the chapter ends with one other person. Who is this? Seth, right? Let, let's look at verse 25. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave her to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men begin to call on the name of the Lord. That last line, what does it mean? It's, it's kind, of, kind of strange, right? We just read about the depravity of man, the ripple of sin from Adam to Cain to Lamech, and then w- suddenly people began to call on the name of the Lord. Like, what's that? I, I want to suggest that it's because what we have here is a new beginning. We have a new line, the line of Seth which is different from the line of Cain. In Cain's line, it's like Cain and then Lamech, right? And and it's like, oh my gosh, what's happening to the human race? And then here we also read, actually, there's another son. There is someone else who will carry on the line of Adam and not in the way of Cain, right? The Bible says Seth replaced Abel. Specifically, Seth replaced Abel, right? Eve said God has granted, that's the, that's the meaning of Seth, Seth's name, okay? Granted me another child in place of Abel. And then verse 26 says, Men begin to call on the name of the Lord, and that leads us to chapter 5, which shows us this different line. Not the line of Cain. A different group of people, the line of Seth. Okay, let's look at some of them. Okay, here's, here's a quiz. Okay, I should give this. Who is the oldest man in the Bible? Quick, quick. Okay, Methuselah. General Direction Conan. <laughs> okay, Methuselah, okay. Um, Methuselah is the oldest man in the Bible. And yet, he died before his father. Ah, why? It's like a riddle, a Bible riddle, you know. Who's the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah. And yet he died before his father. Why? Huh? His father didn't die. Yeah, his father was Enoch. Okay? Okay, we'll talk about it later. Now, if you look up the meaning of Methuselah uh, in dictionary.com, you'll find that it means a wine bottle of it. What? Okay, because you should look up the meaning in Hebrew. Okay, so if you check the Hebrew meaning, it means his death shall bring judgment. Okay? Or... When he dies, it shall, it shall be sent. Okay, Just think about it. This is a really strange name to give your child. Can you imagine the baby is born? Like, oh, it's a boy. What should we call him? When he dies. What? 
He's just born. <laughs> okay, but check this out, okay? Check this out. Problem sum for you. Okay? Methuselah became father of Lamech at 187 years old. Lamech became father of Noah at 182 years old. So how old was Methuselah when Noah was 600 years old? Come on, come on, problem sums. You may use a calculator. What? 969, wow, mental arithmetic strong. Okay, yes, 969 when he died, right? When Noah was 600 years old, what happened when Noah was 600 years old? The flood came, okay? Genesis 7, when Noah was 600 years old, when the flood waters came on the earth. So, when Noah was 600 years old, Methuselah was 969, and that was the year he died. When he dies, it shall be sent. Can you imagine? Oh, it, who's his father? Enoch, right? Enoch gave him this name when he was born, which means the name was prophetic, right? Okay, so, so okay, preview, preview. Next week, we'll study the flood, okay? Actually, actually, the, the, the guy I want to talk about in the line of Seth is Enoch, okay, Methuselah's father, right? Think about the kind of relationship he had with God when, when his son is born, he gives him a prophetic name that will be fulfilled nine, six, nine years later. But, uh, Enoch is actually the second hero of faith mentioned in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame, right? It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Wow, this is like hashtag goals, right? Can you imagine? Like He's just like walking with God all the time. And then one day you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven. It's like, what? <laughs> right? Like he never experienced death. What is the significance? I think that Enoch's life showed that despite the curse of sin, despite man's sinful nature, death does not have complete control over the human race. Despite all that, here is one guy who didn't die. And I believe he's mentioned here for that reason. There's another guy who didn't die. Elijah. Okay. Now, we don't know much about Enoch. All we know is that he walked with God and then he was no more. Right? He walked with God 300 years. That's like, that's the goal, man. When I die, I hope they put in my obituary, Joanne walked with God 70 years, 80, I don't know, what, whatever, 30 years. <laughs> okay. Enoch walked with God. Check it out, we have a hero of faith in the line of Seth, right? And, 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 and of course, there's a hero, Noah, right? So again, more on him next week, okay? So compare the line of Cain to the line of Seth, okay? Look, this is the line. I don't know why they can't, like, you know, vary the names a little, okay? It's not too creative with the names, right? But, okay, anyway, um, compare specifically the sixth guy, in this line, and the sixth guy in this line, okay? Lamech, okay, boasting guy, polygamist, versus Enoch. Lamech caused death, right? He killed a man just as his ancestor Cain did, but Enoch escaped death. He walked with God 
300 years. It is the line of death and the line of life. And you know, when you read chapter 5, it's like, wow, how come they all live so many years? Uh? Right? It's like, oh, they live, they live 300 years, they live 600 years, they live this, right? It's the line of life. And which line did Jesus descend from? Obviously, right? The line of life. And so, so I want to bring us back to the question I've been asking again today. Okay, which group are we in? Are we in the Cain group, the line of Cain, or Abel or Seth? Can, can I get a keyboardist? I think we have to ask ourselves, right? Will we be like Cain and will we you know, approach God like half-heartedly, with, with disregard, or will we bring our best like Abel did? Right? Will we be like Cain and will we trust in the fruit of our own works? Or will we be like Abel who approached God by faith and was therefore commended as righteous? Right? Will we be like Cain, do things our own way, independent of God, thinking of ourselves only, jealous, bitter, angry at God, angry at our brothers, angry that someone else is righteous and doing the right thing, persisting in sin even when God warns us that sin is crouching at your door, defiant, rude, complaining to God because we simply refuse to listen to Him, rejecting again and again God's provision of grace and mercy. Lord, is this me? Or will we be like Abel who did what was right and was accepted? Or like Enoch who walked with God, the heroes of faith? Will we walk with God and choose life with Jesus? Like the line of Abel and Seth, Enoch? Or will we choose death, rejecting the provision of Jesus Christ, persisting in our sin? You know, there's this part in Deuteronomy 30 where Moses tells the people of Israel, I have set before you life and death. Now choose life so that we may live. I really want us to come before God today. And let's just think about this passage today in relation to our own lives, to our own sin. What is God saying to you from His Word today? You know, if you have never made that decision, that conscious decision to choose God's way over your own way, to give your life to Jesus and choose to follow Him for the rest of your life, you can easily make that decision today, right? It's a decision simply made by faith, trusting in the grace of God. Because we are all sinful, we're all imperfect people. But we find eternal life, abundant life through the grace of God because God made a provision for our sin by sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. And by His blood, by the blood of Jesus, we have forgiveness. And so we are saved not by, not by anything that we do, not by our own goodness or righteousness or efforts, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is accept Him as our Lord and our Savior and choose His way instead of our way. But I think for many of us here, we have been a Christian for many years. And, and I believe we still need to daily choose which way we will take. Will we take our way, our own way, or God's way? The way of Cain, or the way of Abel and Enoch? And you know, when we hear stories like that, it's very easy to think like, 
nah, I'm not Cain. I did not murder my brother. But Cain didn't start off like that. He just started off angry. He just started off like half-hearted. And we have to keep asking ourselves, is it I? Am I like that? The way of Cain? Or the way of Abel and Enoch? And, and I really hope today we can seriously consider our response to God in the light of our sin and sinful nature. You know, how do we respond to God as sinners? And this is not meant to make us feel like bad about ourselves, like, you know, walk around in self-condemnation. Because repentance is not about feeling bad, about turning back, crossing over from life to death simply because what Jesus Christ did. So as the keyboard is placed, as Heidi plays, I just ask you to take a few moments and come before God. Whatever God is speaking to you about, maybe about sin in general, sin in your life, your attitude towards God, come before Him and talk to Him. Lord, is this me? Let's just rise and just come before God in prayer. Let's pray. God, we come before you and God, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that really we are saved by grace and nothing else. But God, there is, there is no good within us. God, apart from you, we have no good thing. And so God, we pray that today, Holy Spirit, as you convict us of the sin in our lives, that God, this will not be an, an exercise in just self-condemnation or self-pity or feeling bad. But God, would you turn our hearts back to you? Because God, you are the gracious and compassionate Father you are slow to anger and abounding in love. You are infinitely patient with us. You are our good, good Father. And Jesus, you loved us enough to sacrifice yourself on the cross that we might cross over from death to life. And so God, we give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you our honor, and we give you our worship. God, you are so worthy and so good to us. And would you fill our hearts with gratitude? Would you give us that broken spirit and contrite heart to daily come before you in humility, to seek your forgiveness for our sins, turn our hearts back to you. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy towards us, your faithfulness and your goodness. And all these we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're just going to gather in our cell groups now.
Let's have a little time of discussion and prayer in our CGs. Okay, so CGs, can you take over?